Hello, you're listening to Search for Truth, your Bible study program with teacher Brian Johnston. Today it's our final study in this series called Guarding the Gates, and Brian's called it a footnote on the Kenites. It refers back to a previous talk in this series, the one about the night watchman. I must admit, I hadn't come across a study on the Rechabites and the Kenites before, and what Brian will shortly reveal to us from the scriptures is very interesting, I found. And I hope you'll find it interesting too, as we join Brian now and his postscript on the Kenite people. Thanks, John. It was a Tuesday morning, and I had a meeting with a team of scientists from the United States that morning. The date was the 28th of January, 1986. It's etched in my memory because it was the date of the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. To this day, I distinctly recall how before our meeting with the United States scientists, before it had begun that morning, my immediate superior reached out to the team leader opposite and offered condolences for the loss of the seven astronauts who in exiting gravity had entered eternity. It had been watched live by millions of people For only 73 seconds after liftoff from Cape Canaveral, the space shuttle had exploded. President Reagan that day gave quite a speech. He talked of space as the last frontier and of how pioneers have always given their lives on the frontier. He later quoted a poem by an Air Force volunteer that included the line, they slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. Touching God's face, that's an extremely evocative expression. It suggests intimacy. As with someone we know well, we come close to God through prayer. In the language of the Bible, we often find expressions such as seeking God's face. It's a way of describing prayer. And even more expressive than that, we occasionally come across the still more striking phrase, the softening of his face. For example, 1 Kings chapter 13 and verse 6. That is literally the softening of God's face. That in turn may suggest soothing, possibly by touching. And it's an idiom used of a particular type of prayer known as intercessory prayer. We're back to the implied intimacy of touching the face of God. One of the most amazing revelations about God in the whole Bible is that he wants you and me to become intimate with him. There are some people among our circle of friends and acquaintances about whom we'd happily say that we're close to them. We find spending time with them to be satisfying and rewarding. But here we're talking about God. I began rereading the Bible again recently, starting from the book of Genesis, and felt I ought to pause when I got to chapter 45. I got to the place where Joseph invited his brothers, saying to them, please come closer. That's verse 4 of chapter 45. That was breathtaking generosity of spirit on the part of Joseph. To be able to say that to men who, though they were his own brothers, had horribly betrayed him when he was a youth. But I found myself thinking of the more breathtaking invitation God gives to sinners 
through Jesus, his son. Come to me, he says. That invitation is the good news of forgiveness that's available from God through Jesus, his son. Then, later in the Bible, this time through the Apostle James in chapter 4, verse 8, more guidance is given on how believers can draw near to God, perhaps after a time when our behaviours have created some distance. It's as if the Lord is saying, please come closer, just like Joseph. The expected response that James gives focuses on the need for cleansing, purifying, mourning and humbling ourselves. We've already observed that one of the recurring sins of God's people at the time of the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel was idolatry, a problem rooted in the heart of God's people, God's people being Israel. They went astray from the heart. God was no longer going to endure this blatant rebellion and rejection of his person. This is what he says in Ezekiel chapter 14. For anyone of the house of Israel or if the strangers who reside in Israel, who deserts me, sets up idols in his heart, puts in front of his face the stumbling block of his wrongdoing, and then comes to the prophet to request something of me for himself, I, the Lord, will let myself answer him myself. I will eliminate him from among my people, so you will know that I am the Lord. Notice there how God talks about setting his face against them. God was hardening himself against his people's persistent rebelliousness. There was at that time no one to soften his face. In fact, it had gone well beyond the reach of intercession. For God went so far as to say that if Noah, Daniel and Job were living then, they'd not deliver any others but only themselves. The point is clear. Judgment had now become unavoidable. God would deal with his sinning people in wrath so that ultimately they might come to know him. That last part is God's great desire and it's just one of the more than 60 times that God expresses this purpose through Ezekiel, which is that his people should know him. But even in his wrath, God wouldn't go so far as to deal with them as they truly deserved to be punished. After scattering them in judgment, he'd show mercy in bringing them back. Listen to what he says. As I live, declares the Lord God, with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I assuredly shall be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. Just as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. So you will know that I am the Lord. As for you, house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. Go, serve every one of you as idols, but later you will certainly listen to me and my holy name you will no longer defile with your gifts and with your idols. For on my holy mountain, on the high mountain of Israel, declares the Lord God, there the entire house of Israel, all of them, will serve me in the land. There I will accept them 
and there I will demand your contributions and the choicest of your gifts with all your holy things. As a soothing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered, and I will show myself to be holy among you in the sight of the nations. And you will know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, into the land which I swore to give to your forefathers. And there you will remember your ways and all your deeds by which you have defiled yourselves. And you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for all the evil things that you have done. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you in behalf of my name, not according to your evil ways or according to your corrupt deeds, house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Ezekiel 20 from verse 33. God cannot utterly forsake his people. God cannot forget his covenant. God will restore the faithful ones back to the land, back to the worship that will come from their hearts, and he will be their God and they'll be his people. So the latter part of the book presents God's glory and kingdom as it will return to Israel. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of his own people are placed side by side by Ezekiel. The darkness and awfulness of human sin is presented against the brilliant light of the glory of God. Perhaps there is no other book in the whole Bible that presents the sins of God's people in as much detail as the book of Ezekiel, when it talks about idolatry, bloodshed, their desecrating of the Sabbaths, and so on. Do you want to get the full picture of human sinfulness? Do you want to get the full picture of the awesome character of God and his holiness? Do you want to get the full picture of the wrath of God? In short, do you want to know God? Then study the book of Ezekiel and your life will be transformed. Ezekiel has a twofold message. On the one hand, he brings a message of judgment. The holiness of God cannot tolerate sin, especially sin in the life of his own people, people who are known by his name. Basically, 20 chapters from 4 to 24 are devoted to presenting this sinfulness. God's wrath is against them because of that. These chapters in the first half of the book present God's glory in relation to his judging of his people for their sin. But we said Ezekiel has a twofold message. On the one hand, he brings that message of judgment, as we've seen. But on the other hand, Ezekiel brings a message of hope. For God will act for the sake of his name, for his own namesake, that is, based on his own character and nature, he'll allow his face to be softened. In this way, God's glory is seen in this book in the same two ways as it was seen by the Israelites as they travelled from an earlier captivity in Egypt on their way by the hand of Moses to the border of the promised land. At times then, God's glory was seen in admonition. At other times, it was seen in approbation. In other words, to warn or to show approval. To know God is to know his glory in each of these two ways. Israel saw the glory of God in judgment when they murmured against him and complained of hunger in the desert. Exodus 16 and verse 10. But they also saw God's glory in a display of satisfaction at times when his commandments had been fully kept. For example, in the setting up of the tabernacle and its commencement of operation. Exodus 40, Leviticus chapter 9. 
In similar ways, Ezekiel saw God's glory retreating from the temple in judgment, but he also saw how the glory of God's gratuitous mercy would return to his people again. As usual, let me remind you how you can freely receive a transcripts book of all the talks in this series. Firstly, it's available online and you can download it yourself from churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Or, in another way, you can write to us yourself and request a hard copy book. Just ask for the title Guarding the Gates and don't forget to include your own postal address so we know where to send it to. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Well, that's the conclusion of this series, and we're near the close of today's programme. I must record my thanks to you for the pleasure of your company once again and throughout the series if you've been following it. We really appreciate your interest in these programmes. And I look forward to you joining us again next time for the start of the new series. If you can make it, I hope to see you then. But for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, producer David our singers, and me, John. So see you again soon, and in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings. May we learn from this great soul.